Welcome back to Trivial Context, a podcast where we play the slowest game of Trivial Pursuit ever. I'm Sean Riley. And I'm Brooke Riley. Two things up top. Number one, Brooke. Potatoes. Potatoes, yes. Realized after we published the last episode that I kept saying, we'll talk about potatoes later, and that later is now. (laughs) (laughs) So... We've all heard of the Irish potato famine. At least I hope we have. Um, I don't like corn. It's for my dad. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I'm not going to get super into it because this was last week's thing. But I just want to explain why I kept saying we'll talk about potatoes. So the Irish potato famine happened because there was a pathogen that infected all the potatoes and killed all the potatoes. So their main source of food and essentially their only source of food was all demolished because it was all the same potato yeah. and then they had no food which led to the potato famine yes second thing up top <laughs> uh you can tell i guess by the title of this episode that we're doing sports and not history and the fact that we're going against what we planned on doing in the very next episode next episode the second episode ever i get it i'm not for it but we do have something Kind of exciting, coming out next week, which will be our history episode. Explain it then. I guess third thing up top, I have pretty bad allergies. So if this voice annoys you, come back next week. (laughs) I apologize. (laughs) It annoys me too. Don't sound too bad. I appreciate it. Okay, we are drawing a card. We will be doing sports and leisure. All right, Brooke. What women's basketball icon... Racked up eight national titles and was the winning winningest coach. I quote winningest coach in Division One history when she passed away in 2016. Not a clue. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> in case we didn't mention this last time, sports and leisure is probably the one that we were looking forward to the least. Yeah, back when we played trivia crack, that was always the last trophy we got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then we play Trivial Pursuit. It's the last one we go for. Yep. So, the answer is Pat Summit. Her collegiate record tallied 1,098 points when she retired in 2012 at the age of 59. We'll cap it at three. Okay, we might need to do that. Actor <laughs> Burt Reynolds played Division One football for which university? Uh, what? Yeah. Give me a second. I, I'm saying I don't know, so I'm looking at the Oh, answer. I gotcha. Dallas Cowboys. Close. <laughs> Austin Cowboys. <laughs> University. Was I uh, clue you missed there? No name. Uh, Florida State. Oh, whatever. Who cares? All right, last one. All right, last one, last one. We're losing. I'm losing hope. Yeah. <laughs> oh, or I think our uh, listeners will be losing hope in us as, as hosts of a trivia podcast. In swimming, does the abbreviation DPS stand for distance per second, stroke, or session? I'm going to say stroke. I agree. I'm going to say distance per stroke. It was. Cool. My trivia question for you is only five countries have competed at every modern era fill in the blank. Summer Olympics. Olympics. I said Olympics very quietly. I apologize. Olympics. (laughs) Does it come as a surprise to you that I picked Olympics as sport? Not really. As far as I know, the only sports that you like really get into watching is the Olympics. Absolutely. I love the olympics watch them like every year Mm -hmm. well not every year 
Well, every year they're on. Beijing was fun. Mm -hmm. I um back to back Olympics this twenty twenty one twenty twenty two. Yeah, it was really nice to have them so close together. I like yeah, I get emotional watching the Olympics a lot. So to kind of go more, I was just kind of like looking for a fun fact to start my thing about the Olympics, but then this turned into like a very interesting thing that I'm going to. It became your report. Well, my report's in three parts because what I wanted to talk about wasn't long enough. So, anyway. Okay. Part one is the an explanation to that first. The countries are Greece, Great Britain, France, Switzerland, and. You said Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's Spain. A, no, Australia. <laughs> that surprised me. Because I like I thought the United States yeah, would yeah. be in there. I, I the fact that you brought it up in that manner made me think it wasn't the United States. Yeah. But that would have been my guess if it presented in a different way. Yeah. The reason why is because in nineteen eighty we boycotted the Moscow Olympics. Oh. Yeah. That kind of rings a bell yeah. to me after I saw that. But I didn't really know what the reason was. So here's I'm glad the that Greece is on that list because they like started the Olympics. Not the modern day, of course, but yeah, the... the OG. Mm-hmm. Oh, Greece. So 65 countries refused to compete in the games and 80 sent athletes. And the reason we boycotted... This is the 1980s? Yes. Is because the Soviet Union at the time were like fresh out of slash kind of still in the Cold War. So Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan to help support the country's um, communist re- communist regime uh, because, you know, they're a big fan of communism. And there were a lot <laughs> of, like, rebels at the time in Afghanistan, like, trying to rise. They invaded the country. And this just sounds a little familiar. So another reason why I'm yeah. sharing this. President Carter at the time issued a trade embargo on grain and... And, and information technology, and the Soviet Union wasn't allowed to fish in our waters. The U.S. also provided Afghanistan and their neighboring countries with military equipment, food, and support to get through. So, uh, almost echoes of the past. Or, yeah, or, half yeah. a century later, sounds pretty familiar. President Carter also sent Muhammad Ali. He was like trying to unite a lot of countries to boycott. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and he was successful with some, I believe, like, West Germany at the... Well, obviously, West Germany at the time boycotted them. Japan, Canada. Um, and there were some others who agreed and said they would boycott, but still sent people. Though That would be, like, Great Whoa. Britain, France. Um, and most surprisingly, Afghanistan still sent athletes. That is interesting. Oh, wow. To compete, yeah. Carter was so, like, set on convincing other countries that he sent Muhammad Ali to Africa to get those countries. Wow. Um, but it backfired because they actually ended up convincing Ali that like they should go and compete. <laughs> so <laughs> it didn't work out. Both houses of Congress passed something <laughs> saying that... Sounds like something they do. Yeah. I don't know if it's a bill or a law or I don't know in this moment. Suggestion? They passed a suggestion uh, that they should... Yes, but boycott the Olympics. Um, but that's not up to any of those people. It's up to the U.S. Olympic Committee. Um, huh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I just think it's funny that all that happened kind of for no reason. 
Um, but obviously they're like pretty influenced. Like it's yeah. gonna be pretty hard to like go up against your entire government of yeah. your country. But then they, the Olympic Committee suggested that countries who were boy athletes from countries who were boycotting could compete under the Olympic flag, like Russia has been doing for the last couple times. ROC. Uh huh. But. President Carter threatened to revoke any passport for any athlete who attempted to do that. So he's like, feels dirty. Pretty hard on it. Yeah. And in response, the Soviet Union boycotted the 1984 Los Angeles Summer Olympics, (laughs) (laughs) which to me contention breeds contention. Yeah, and it's I mean it's a conflicting thing. Like, as a country, it's nice to like stand united against bullies in the world, but also for those athletes. Like, that's a huge bummer. Yeah, four years. You go from 20, prime of your life, to 24, still probably prime of your life, to 28. Yeah. Basically decrepit. But, like, some of those... Anyway, it was, like, a little bit controversial. Yeah, absolutely. After reading that, I was always surprised. And I've had this... Another thing you have to know. I essentially turned the sports and leisure category into a sports history topic. Same. <laughs> but, um... I remember when we went to the Holocaust Museum in 2019, it really stuck out to me that the Olympics were held in Berlin in 1936, despite like the Holocaust. Yeah, the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. Yes, like being a thing. And to me, like that's the one yeah. to, to boycott. I started looking into what I originally wanted my topic to be about was during that time, you know, Hitler wanted, agreed to have the world come because he saw it as an opportunity to spread his, like, propaganda. Yeah. And at first, he didn't want any non-Aryans to compete, but that backfired enormously. Yeah. That's most of the world? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like, vast majority of the world. So then they uh, changed their tune really quickly and even put a Jewish, and this is in quotations, like a token Jewish girl on their women's team. And I wanted this report to be about her, but I couldn't find... Like, it's going to be some some deep digging. I think I did, but it's a little mixed on whether she actually competed or not. Anyway, so I might save that for a future episode because I want to do that. I want to give her the justice. Yeah, I want to give her the justice and the respect that she absolutely deserves. Yeah. So um, that led me into some other things, which is why this is kind of... All over the place. <laughs> Are we heading on to part two? We're heading on to part two. Okay, so let's move forward to the 2000 Sydney Games. Whoa, time travel. Yes. And we're going to talk about Eric the Eel Musimbani. Is he a swimmer? Yes. Okay, good. And I apologize if I am mispronouncing his name. Yeah. Um, he was a 22-year-old from Equatorial Guinea, which is on the off of the western coast of Middle Africa. He was the first athlete or swimmer, again, like mixed sources, to represent the country. Either way, big deal. Yeah. Which at the time was really struggling. So how did he qualify for the Olympics from like a, a country that has never really participated? Did he save a Olympic committee member from drowning? <laughs> no. Um, at the time, the Olympic committee gave token invitations to people in different developing countries because they wanted... To kind of get them interested Bring them in, into in different sports. Um, and so he was selected from his country. And he he was super dedicated and worked really hard. That's really cool. Yeah. He taught himself to swim. Good. He had, Good. 
Important skill to have <laughs> yes. while competing. The only pool he had access to was at the local like hotel pool, and he could train there from 5 to 6 in the morning three times a week, which compared to other Olympic athletes is like yeah nothing. That pool was like didn't have lanes, wasn't that deep. He had no coach, no like exercise or diet regimen, no way to like monitor or track his progress. Like it was all just totally on his own. So he and he was told that he would be competing in the 50 meter race. Yeah. You know. So he gets to Sydney. He walks into the stadium. He sees his first Olympic sized pool for the first <laughs> time. He sees over 17,000 spectators in the audience. Yeah. And he is told that he actually has to do the 100 meter race. This is a story from my father that uh, he is the oldest. They were native to Georgia. They drove out to the ocean to spend the, the time. And the two older brothers were talking to the youngest about how amazing the ocean is. Now he's going to love it and swim so much. And they get to the hotel and he sees the pool through the window. And he goes, that's it? <laughs> so it's this guy, but reverse. Yes. <laughs> that's it. So anyways, there's like a lot going on. He It continues to be kind of like weird circumstances, right? So the day of the race, there were only three in his qualifying heat. And as far as I can tell, the other two were also like these token invitations. One was Kareem Bear from Niger and Farkad Oropov from Tajikistan. And in that, so out of the three, the other two have false starts and are disqualified. <laughs> So it's just him racing himself, which we've both been in track. Yes. And you absolutely run your best. In competition. Yeah. Yeah. There's a hideous picture of me. I doubt it. When I was running a race and there was a girl right next to me. We were on the same team, so like it didn't really matter who won, Mm -hmm. but like it mattered to me. And I'm just like pushing through. And I ran my fastest race because we were like neck and neck. That's really cool. And I ended up winning, so... Woohoo! Anyway, but yeah, my face is like. She's making a beautiful face. I'm not. Anyway, so like (laughs) a beautiful sneer. (laughs) (laughs) That's really hard already. Absolutely. So, um, about the halfway point, people start to notice that he was struggling, like really struggling, like starting to drift. And if you touch one of the ropes, you're automatically disqualified. And I watched a video of his like turn. It's rough. I mean, he's really struggling. But at that moment, the crowd just starts going wild. Just That's like so cool. Cheering him on. And he, well, the, the commentator at the time, Adrian Morehouse, said, this guy doesn't look like he's going to make it. And then, like, the, the crowd. Yeah. That's cool. He finishes the race. I love at, happy crowds. Yeah. With the slowest time um, coming in at a minute, 52 seconds. Um, but it was a personal best for him. Good. And again, that's like an endurance race, and he had trained for like more of a sprint. Yeah. And do you have a time of like a regular? I, I believe the winning time was about 48 seconds. Okay, so more than double. Yeah, the slowest, the slowest time in the women's heat was about 30 seconds faster than his. Interesting. Yeah. And there was, I was shocked like researching this. It's kind of like a controversial thing. Like a lot of people thought he couldn't compete. I read one article and they were like kind of making fun of him, which that's not right. I had, yeah, I was, I won't mention the article so they don't get the not the name. <laughs> but yeah, I was really like upset about the way that they presented him. Once he gets out, he's interviewed and he says, 
The first 50 meters were okay, but in the second 50 meters, I got a bit worried and thought I wasn't going to make it. Then something happened. I think it was all the people getting behind me. I was really, really proud. It's still a great feeling for me, and I loved when everyone applauded me at the end. I felt like I had won a medal or something. And this is a guy coming from a country who makes less than a dollar a day. Yeah. And he's competing in the Olympics, and he had 17,000 people cheering him on. That's really cool. Like, to him, it did not matter. Like, he finished a race. He had no no training training at all. Yeah. He also got to shake hands with his swimming hero, Michael Klim. And all of this, like publicity and stuff shot him into the public eye and so speedo offered him a contract to do some some promotional work but eventually like you know you kind of get like that ended he he moved back to equatorial guinea he he trained for the 2004 olympics and he cut a whole minute off of his time so was that 52 yeah which olympics 52 seconds is quick i mean like that's a big gap yeah, that's a that's still a big. That's a body I mean, length or more. But. I mean, races are decided within hundredths of a second. Yeah. So like. Before his personal. Yeah. Journey. Am- amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Unfortunately, the government pulled his accreditation and wouldn't allow him to go. Wow. Yeah. He then becomes the national team coach. That's so cool. Yeah, and then, but that's always on the side. He he was an IT engineer, during his life. Oh, good. So. Or probably still is. It's good to have little hobbies, you know. <laughs> some people have arts and crafts. Some people have Olympics. Yeah. It's all the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just super impressed with him. And I'm going to just end with another uh, quote from him. The time wasn't good, but I did it. The experience of the Olympics is not just about competition. It's also about participation and the spirit of doing your best. I think that's what made me famous. When I got out of the pool, people came up to me and gave me congratulations. When I was walking around the village, people were asking for my autograph. It changed everything in my life. People knew my name and my country. It let me try to grow the sport in my country. And, like, I think that was kind of the point. Yeah, I mean, my favorite stories of the Olympics are, you know, gold medals are great. But the people that fall or, like, break a leg or whatever it is and then get up and finish their race is the stuff that you hear about 40, 30 years later or whatever. Yeah, and I had never, like, heard of him. No, yeah. Which is why I went. Me neither. But yeah, I mean, there's just mean stuff. Like, he comes, he went to the Olympics with, like, a woman who competed. They nicknamed, like, his name is Eric the Eel, but her name was Paula the Crawl. Like, they just weren't... Rude. Kind. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was disappointed. And, and they bring up a good point of, like, at the time, I guess, only two athletes from every country could compete. Yeah. So... Wow. In, in, in an event... Okay, okay. And there's there's a lot of events. Okay, all right, all right. But um, and I don't, I can't, I don't think it's the same way. It's not the same way because yeah, Michael you, Phelps is like doing seven events and like yeah. dying. Yeah. Anyway, he was. So they were saying it's not fair that he gets to come and then like other people who've like trained their whole lives are like barely cut and don't yeah. even get to go to to like the games. Yeah. And like I kind of agree with that, but it's not like he took the place of anybody they yeah. they could have said okay the top three like at some point everyone there's a cutoff yeah. or someone's not gonna come and he didn't like kick anybody out of their spot yeah for that. if equatorial guinea ends up withdrawing someone from france doesn't get to go on yeah like that yeah yeah it, so it's unrelated i disagree with that 
way of thinking. <laughs> anyway, so I that is just a story that I hadn't heard before, and I, I thought it was really cool. Um, I would agree. It is really cool. If you get a chance and you're interested, like, go watch the video after he raised... Like, he's just, like, a, he's so happy. That's cool. And, oh. Yeah. Great story. The third and final portion of my report is about another very inspiring 22-year-old. Hmm. Is there any kind of common thread throughout other than the Olympics in these three stories? Kind of, like... Why governments suck. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, Soviet Union. Yeah. And then... Equatorial Guinea. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And then this one is about Yusra Mardini. And again, I apologize if I'm saying the yeah. name incorrectly. Um, and this is in the 2016 Rio Olympics. Um, I remember those. Yeah, and I kind of remember the story. Hmm. But not the detail. Once I was reading about it, I was like, oh, yeah, I do remember this. But um, Yusra is from Syria, and she competed under the IOC Refugee Olympic team. Interesting. So initially, so initially she was set to compete for Syria, and she was training. And at one point, she's literally <laughs> training in pools that have had their roofs blown off. Wow. Yeah. So her and her sister realized that, like, they need to leave Syria. So their goal is to go to Greece via Turkey and they leave with so there's twenty of them total in a boat that holds seven people. Wow. Yeah. After fifteen minutes the engine fails. It's a good thing they're all swimmers. No. <laughs> okay. Four of them knew how to swim. Oh, okay. Way off. She's the best one, right? Like she's training for the Olympics. Yes, yes. So this is a quote from her. I had one hand with the rope attached to the boat as I moved my two legs and one arm. It was three and a half hours in cold water. Your body is almost like done. I don't know if I can describe that. So, yeah, for three and a half hours, she... She tugged a boat. Yeah, with three other people and, like, pulled them literally into safety. Almost the, suggested that, but I was like, no, that might be insensitive. But she literally did it. Yeah. Wow. And then the journey from, like, when they left Syria to when they got where they were going to was 25 days. They eventually arrive in Germany. She wow. gets like noticed by the Germans and they're like, hey, we're gonna try and get you into the Olympics. You can like compete under Germany. Obviously like very inspired by her story. Fortunately for her, and I didn't get to read too much into this, but apparently it was easy for her, easier for her to compete under the refugee status. And like, I assume you'd have to get like some type of citizenship yeah. and stuff like that. So. Um, she competed. Like, competing is competing, so I'm sure she was happy yeah. to do whatever. Also, I, I think, at least for me personally, like, if I was a refugee, I would want the world to know... I'm, I'm Syrian and not... I'm Syrian, and this is what's happening yeah. in my country that, like, forced me to flee. You know what I mean? Anyway, she ends up going to the Olympics. She competes in a couple events. The 100-meter butterfly, she places 41st out of 45. So, like... Not great, yeah. but still, I mean, like, I, neither of these people are... Gonna win the gold. Yeah, it's just the story to, to, to get To even there. get to the Olympics yeah. is amazing. Yeah, and she also competed <laughs> in this last, like, the most recent Olympics. Kind of, like, same results. Tokyo. Yeah, so, anyway, those are my... That's my report about... Your three... My three-part inspiring-ish <laughs> Olympic stories. Perfect. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. All right. So I've already cut out a lot of coughs. We'll see how this goes. 
But my question to start is, if you bowl a perfect game, what is your score? 300. Good job. We're talking about bowling. Nice. Your favorite sport. Yeah, I, I don't particularly like bowling. Um, I'm not really aware of any upcoming bowling competitions. Uh, so why am I talking about bowling? Well, because I googled something like a week ago and I thought it was interesting. Not a week ago, almost like a month ago. And I thought it was interesting. And before we even started this podcast, I knew that my first sports and leisure report would be on bowling. Nice. So to start it off, I have a uh, fun story myself. So... As Brooke said, 300 is a perfect game for people like Bill Fong. That's small, small time stuff. This comes from dmagazine.com. Uh, if you are interested in reading it, they go into a, a lot of detail. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling 12 stripes gives you an impressive score. Competitions have series comprised of three games. So bowling 36 strikes in a row is what Bill is after. There have been... points. Yeah, there have been only 21 certified 900s. Wow. In 2010, Bill's team, the Crazy Eights, set up with Bill bowling last as the anchor. He saw that each of his teammates' bowls were hooking early, so he threw a deeper hook trying to hit the sweet spot between pin 1, the top of the pyramid, and 3, which gives the best chance of nailing a strike, unless you're left-handed, in which case 1 and 2. He got it. Then the next, and I'm sure you can see where this is going. Bill says, It felt like driving and catching a green light, then the next one, then the next, then turning and still catching every green light everywhere you go. I like the turning. Yeah. (laughs) After the first 300, so he did it, 12 strikes in a row. What is that, a a quadruple turkey? One of the Super Bowl, which was the establishment, not to be confused with the Super Bowl, Which we can't say. Yeah, I don't know how they get away with it. Maybe they... Beep that out. Yeah. (laughs) The the employees announced Fong's name and score over the loudspeaker. Something Fong is a particular fan of. (laughs) There was a round of applause, and he says, sometimes when you have a lot of 300s, or if you get more than one in a week, they won't announce it. So, as he went strike after strike down the lanes, he says he began to feel magical. Literally, the way he was commanding the balls to turn and burrow into the unsuspecting pins, it felt a little like he was moving heavy objects with only the power of his mind. Whoa. In the fourth frame, both the seven and the ten pins, uh, so snake eyes almost, stayed up just a bit longer than he wanted. As he gestured with both arms, they fell. Something similar happened in the eighth frame. It was like Moses parting the sea, he says. I'd move my hands and everything would get out of my way. By the 10th frame of the second game, Fong found that most people around him wouldn't make eye contact for fear they would be the last thing he would see before rolling a dud. (laughs) He did not. Game two ended and he had back-to-back 300s. Wow. Yeah. I've bowled a a lot. Not a lot. I've bowled. Mm -hmm. I reckon if the bumpers are down, I've gotten less than five strikes in my life. Really? I'm not very good. Which is why I don't like bowling. <laughs> yeah. I like bowling because I am pretty good. I mean, with the bumpers up, you know, go I'm pretty good. Sometime. We should go bowling. Actually, after I wrote this, I was like, I, I want to go bowling. Wow. Okay, good. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> so during his third game, this is it, right? This is, this is, he's on the road to getting the 22nd 900. During his third game, the crowd had swelled. Each strike was met by an ever-increasing eruption from the crowd. 
the entire alley would become silent as he stepped up to bowl. But once again, it was the 10th frame. 35 consecutive strikes in his rear view. One to go. He released the ball as he had thousands of times before. It landed, and the 10th pin, the back right, remained standing. The run was over, as was the dream. Bill Fong still bowls, and though he was not the 22nd 900, he was the 11th. 899. Wow. <laughs> Poor guy. I know. I know. I love that story. Also inspiring or, or something. Or something. <laughs> kind of sad, but also really cool. Yeah. Needless to say, I believe they won the competition. <laughs> yeah. Bowling. I think bowling is interesting. I reckon that bowling <laughs> is the basis for every ball sport we have today. If you look up... If you just do a quick Google, what is the oldest ball sport? It'll give you, uh, I don't remember the name, the Mayan sport, right? We've all mm-hmm. heard of it. That comes in at around 2000 BC, a little bit closer to us, but you know, bowling. Hazard a guess. You were uh, when... saying bowling so loud. <laughs> Hazard a guess at when bowling began, or we have first evidence of. 500 BC. Uh, yeah, did you look at my notes? <laughs> Absolutely not. Really? Oh, sorry. You're off by a lot. 5,200 BC. Okay, well. Yeah. That was the first time that we have any kind of evidence of bowling. Uh, we have wall paintings depicting it in ancient Egypt. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> and about 2,000 years ago, the Romans had a similar outdoor game, which eventually became bocce ball. We are fans of bocce ball yeah. in this house. And I would say bocce ball created horseshoes, mm-hmm. right? It's the same I thing. Mean, I don't know, but... I think so. Well, I just, like, the reason I think it's it's so, like, strong in, in all of us is, like, think back to when you were a kid. How many times did you, like, set something up on a windowsill or just on the table and then try and throw something at it? Like, I know I did it. Or wherever you go, I think everybody will have that shared experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, just creating points and maybe adding a few things like adding 10 pins so that you can keep track who threw the best ball you know it arrives um organically from that i will say the ancient egyptians there's evidence that they had 10 pin bowling which is what we play nine pin bowling and candlestick bowling so they they had they had uh, All sorts. a widespread here is just a list of fun facts that i Almost copied word for word from Wikipedia. Nice. Yeah. For those that don't know, uh, a alternate title for our podcast was easily Googleable. That was something that we thought about for a while before finally landing on Trivial Context. And uh, this is why. In 1299, some fun facts, <clears throat> the oldest surviving known bowling green for target-style bowling was built. Masters Close, now the old bowling green of the Southampton Bowling Club in Southampton, England, is still in use. In 1325, laws were passed in Berlin and Cologne that limited bets on lawn bowling to five shillings. In 1366, the first official mention of bowling in England was made when King Edward III banned it as a distraction to archery practice. In 1511, this is really interesting, I think, English King Henry VIII was an avid bowler. He's a bad one. He is a bad one. He banned bowling for the lower classes and imposed a levy for private lanes to limit them to the wealthy. 
I think that's why he's known for being so bad. Yeah, that's where it starts, <laughs> at the very least. Another English law passed in 1541 has been repealed, prohibited workers from bowling, except at Christmas, and only in their master's home and in his presence. Wow, that was generous. <laughs> yeah. In 1846, the oldest surviving bowling lanes in the United States were built as part of Roseland College. In 1903, the English Bowling Association was formed by cricketer W.G. Grace. And when do you think the first time the Olympics held bowling, 10-pin bowling? The first one. The first modern one. No. 1988 in Seoul, South Korea. Huh. Yeah. So, what we got? We got balls ranging from 6 to 16 pounds. Whoa. That is regulation. Anything above that? Because I have seen an 18-pound ball. Bowling ball. Ball. That is not regulation. We got pins, you know, they're made of wood, whatever. Then we got shoes. Each shoe has a rubber heel for breaking, while the sole is flat and smooth to allow gliding. Ooh. Yeah. All of our bowling lanes are oiled to allow uh, hydroplaning as the balls go down. What other questions about bowling do you have? Um, I don't know. I didn't know the history of bowling. Me neither. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, the way it came up is a few weeks ago, we were talking about bowling. And I was like, yeah, kind of everything's bowling in a way. Obviously, talking hyperbolically. And my coworker was like, yeah, like, yeah, right, blah, blah, blah. Like, when did it even start? Like, you know, 1950? I was like, I don't know. I'll look it up. Yeah, ancient Egypt, 5,200 years ago. <laughs> no, sorry, 7,222 years ago. Good math. 5,400 years ago. Long time. That is a long time. Yeah, very, obviously, very few things are, like, that old. Yeah, almost nothing. Like, I always I always wonder, I'd love to see, like, the ultimate timeline of the world. Me too. And, like, okay, in 5200 BC, bowling was invented while, like, what was going on here and there and there and, and here. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about bowling is it's been invented many different times. In different right? places, yeah. yeah. It's one of, the, it's like... It's just like we naturally want to knock things over yeah we naturally make music we naturally want to bowl yeah we naturally do Eat. third three third and fourth things right yeah it's just it's just innate that's our instinct anyway that's my report that was awesome yeah very short comparatively which is not a bad thing what's funny because i just thought mine was really here's my thing i'm like i could have kept going yeah like i that's just my personality like i work up to the deadline so especially if i like don't have a hard one like, there was another story I wanted to add, but I, like, <laughs> yeah. I have to cut. I, I, I'm yeah. going forever, so. And I, I felt like I did a page and a half, and I was like, that is so much. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> All right, I appreciate it. Okay, We're normally, not- we would roll a die to determine our next category. Thank you. But it's going to be history, having something exciting happening uh, when we do it next week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, sorry that we immediately broke this thing that we decided to do, but we thank you for listening. Yeah, and it's our podcast, and we can do it. Get over it, yeah. (laughs) All right, thank you so much. Bye. Bye.